A couple of thousand years ago, Jesus is hanging out with his disciples, his 12 best friends, the guys that he spent the absolute most amount of time with when he was here on earth. And as he would often do uh, when he was hanging out with his disciples, he starts praying. And you just have to picture, you know, Jesus and his 12 disciples, they're like kind of in a circle and, and Jesus, you know, starts diving into this prayer and almost immediately, as I'm sure was almost always the case with Jesus, like you can tell that he's like really, really into the prayer, like, right? Like he really means what he's talking about because after all, I mean, he's having a conversation with his heavenly father, something that, by the way, we all have the ability to do as well. And so, right, he's, he's, he's talking to God, he's really into it, but his disciples, sensing that this prayer is going to go on for a little bit and maybe it's going to be one of those more long-winded prayers, uh, they start getting a little bored and I know that we've never done this before, right? When somebody's praying, we're always just 100% engaged. But his disciples, you know, their minds start wandering. And then they start going through this whole routine. So again, just picture them, you know, in this circle. Uh, they start doing this whole thing where they're kind of closing their eyes, but they're curious if anyone else is disinterested as well. They're interested to know if anybody else is like getting a little bit bored. And so they start pulling this whole maneuver where they kind of like start glancing up and looking around the circle. And then all of a sudden, the most awkward thing in the history of the world happens, right? They look up and as they're looking up, they make eye contact with somebody else that's doing the exact same thing. And they're like, oh my gosh, I cannot believe that they just caught me not paying attention. I'm not into the prayer. But after about 30 seconds pass, right, they start thinking about this and they're like, well, obviously I shouldn't be that embarrassed. I mean, that person wasn't very interested either. I mean, they were opening their eyes too. And so Curiosity gets the best of him, so he kind of starts opening his eyes again to see if that person has their eyes open still as well. And, and sure enough, that person does, right? And so this time, they make eye contact, but, but they hold that eye contact. They don't break away. And then they start going through this whole routine that, again, this is something maybe the disciples have done, but we would never dream of doing something like this, right? Where they're looking across the circle from one another, and they're trying to have a conversation now. But they're obviously not talking out loud because they don't want Jesus to know that they're not really paying attention. So they're doing this whole routine, and the other person's and so they're like trying to read lips, but they obviously have no idea what the other person is saying because they have no ability to read lips whatsoever. And so this keeps going on and on. But every once in a while, Jesus's voice kind of inflects. It gets a little bit higher and they close their eyes real quick because they think he might be coming to the end. But then they start doing it all over again. And eventually Jesus says, amen. And then they all say amen. And then Jesus kind of wanders off and starts doing his own thing. And now the disciples are finally left with the opportunity to sit there and discuss what it is that they thought was so important that they were trying to talk about, you know, by reading lips that they really, again, had no ability to actually communicate that way. And as it turns out, coincidentally, they actually were on the same page. They figure out that, yeah, they actually were all talking about the same thing. And they have this question for Jesus. But the reality is, it's kind of this embarrassing question. They don't really want to ask Jesus this question. And so they kind of draw the who see who and draws the short straw. And they're like, okay. And so one of them, they finally get picked out. Okay, you're going to be the one to actually ask Jesus the question. So they kind of, you know, approach Jesus. And you just got to picture Jesus as a back to them. And taps him on the shoulder and Jesus turns around and he's like, oh, you're, you're all standing here right now. Wonderful. What's up, guys? But they don't come out and again, they ask the question because it's kind of an embarrassing question. So first they go through this whole routine where they're like, hey, Jesus, uh, first off, we just want to let you know that that prayer that you just prayed, mm, that was choice. I mean, you are just like dominating this whole prayer thing. In fact, every single time you pray, I mean, you are just killing these prayers. I mean, you are the best prayer that we have ever heard in our lives. And Jesus is like, what can I say? I am Jesus. I am the son of God. And he's like, but seriously, what, what, what's up, guys? I mean, surely you didn't just come up to me to tell me that. And they're like, no, we had a question. And we all had a question. I mean, it wasn't just me. We, we, we all had this question. And he's like, okay, what is it? Well, you know, no, no, it's, it's not really that important. No, 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 seriously, ask me. What's the question? What's the question? Well, we were wondering, um, will, you, will you teach us how to do that. And Jesus probably smiles and grins back at him and says, teach you how to do what? 
will you teach us how to pray? Because it maybe seems like we're not doing it right. Now, what's so fascinating about that question and the fact that they asked Jesus that is that these were Jewish men. I mean, they grew up with church and religion very much a part of their lives. For their entire lives, they have been going to synagogue. I mean, they grew up Jewish little boys and, and prayer. I mean, they should have known prayer inside and out. They should have known everything about prayer. But yet here they were, 30, 40-year-old grown men meekly approaching Jesus and asking him this question rather sheepishly, will you teach us how to pray because it seems like maybe we're screwing things up. And what an odd situation to be in. I mean, can you picture if you were with like, you know, 10 of your friends and, you know, you had the, the privilege to, to pray, you know, maybe at the end of a meal or, you know, you had a little Bible study together or something. And at the end, you know, you pray and then afterwards one of your friends comes up to you and like, hey, uh, that prayer, ugh, little rough. Hey, do you mind if I give you a couple quick pointers? I mean, that would seem pretty offensive, right? Or maybe it's like Thanksgiving meal and it's all your extended family. They're sitting around the table. You say the prayer, you guys eat, and at the end of the meal, your crazy uncle comes up to you. He's like, obviously that prayer, not very good. Uh, would you mind if we got together sometime this week, had coffee, and I kind of taught you how to pray correctly? I mean, that would seem so offensive, wouldn't it? I mean, at the very least, it would seem really, really inconsiderate. But again, yet here are these disciples, these men who have grown up with prayer, a part of their lives, and they're asking Jesus, will you teach us how to do that? Now, my guess is, and I certainly could be wrong, but I doubt it. I doubt that there is a single person in this room today. I, I bet not one of you have ever went up to another person and asked them that question. Hey, will you teach me how to pray? I doubt any of you have had a conversation with anyone else that says, hey, the, the whole topic of the conversation centers around this idea. Will you teach me how to pray? It's kind of one of those things that, frankly, churches have really dropped the ball on. We just assume that people know how to do it. But what an incredibly stupid assumption to make, particularly if prayer is half as important as we talk about it to be here on Sunday mornings. And if the, the disciples, the very guys who spent time with Jesus in the flesh weren't 100% sure that they were doing it right, my guess is that maybe some of us have had some of those same doubts as well. Too often, churches, we, people like me, and I'll certainly take some of the responsibility for this, uh, we, we tell people like all of you that join us here on Sunday mornings, we tell you, hey, you gotta make prayer a priority. You have to make spending time with God a priority. You gotta open up your Bible and you gotta read that thing. But then we give you no practical advice whatsoever on what that looks like and how to actually put that and implement that into your life which is actually why we are doing this series right now called the Grum Law 7. And if you haven't been here every week, here's what the Grum Law 7 are. Weekends, baptism, daily encounter, generosity, groups, serve, and share. And so each week we're going through one of these things among the Grum Law 7. Now I'll also throw this disclaimer out there. We are not nearly arrogant. I've said this in the other weeks. We are not nearly arrogant enough to, to try to convince you that we came up with these things. We did not, right? Like, in fact, God came up with a lot of these things. Jesus came up with a lot of these things. We just tried to put them into a logical order and put them in terms that are easier to understand. And here's the incredible thing about this. We feel that regardless of where you're at on this whole faith journey, we are confident that your next step is somewhere here among the Grumlaw Seven. And if these seven elements are a part of your life, we're confident that you are on the right track, that your relationship with Jesus is on the right track. And even more exciting than that, if these seven things are a part of your life, you are definitely moving closer to God. And this is a promise that God gives us. As we move closer to him, he inevitably moves closer to us. And so in the first week, we talked about weekends. Why do we do this every Sunday morning? 
Why are there these, these maniacs that show up here on their day off, and they get here at 6.30 a.m. to set all this up, and then they tear it all down? Why do we go to all the trouble of creating these weekend services? And so we talked about that in the first week. Last week, we talked about baptism and a lot of myths that are associated with baptism. And we really posed this question, that if you are a Jesus follower, and since making that decision to follow Jesus, you have not been publicly baptized, what in the heck are you waiting for? And so I can't encourage you enough. If you have never been baptized before, and you're sitting here today, and you call yourself a Jesus follower, please, 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 please email us baptism. We try to make this really easy. Baptism at grumlaw.com. It is not too late to sign up for that. We would love for you to get publicly baptized. And as we talked about last week, that's actually being obedient to what God has called us to do. We also hope that some of you are taking advantage of this. What we're talking about here during the Grumlaw 7 is so important to you understanding what Grumlaw is all about. It speaks to our, mis- our mission and our vision and, and why we started this new church here in Grand Blank. So if you haven't been here every week of this series, I can't encourage you enough. Go to grumlaw.com, click on recent messages, and please listen to any of these messages that you may have missed. So week one, we talked about weekends. Last week, we talked about baptism. And today, we're going to be talking about daily encounter, which is really just a fancy way of asking this question. Are you spending time with God daily? Do you talk to God? Is is this a part of your daily routine? On a day-to-day basis, are you spending time with God? Are you talking to him? Are you having conversation with him? Or as we call it oftentimes in church, do you pray? Do you spend regular time communicating with your heavenly father? Do you open up the scriptures Do you open up the Bible, what we actually feel to be God's word? Do you read those words anticipating that God is going to speak to you in some way? We feel that the Bible is the only book that has the ability to transform lives. Are you tapping into that? Are you taking advantage of that? Has this become a part of your daily routine? Has this become a part of your daily rhythm? And I'm going to be blunt with all of you this morning. If it's not something that is a part of your daily schedule, your relationship with God is absolutely going to suffer as a result. Your relationship with God will never be everything that it could and should be, everything that God desires it to be if you are simply relying on this one hour each week here at church to sustain it. At a certain point, if you say that you believe in God, I I mean, if you really buy into this stuff, if you're saying, yeah, I believe that Jesus came, I I believe that he came and he paid the penalty for my mistakes. He came and he died for my sins, but he didn't stay dead. Three days later, he conquered the grave. If you believe in all of that, at a certain point, you have to start owning it. To the extent that, that spending time with him each and every day becomes a priority. Now, I don't necessarily expect you to believe all of that just because I said it and because I'm up here really passionately talking about it. In fact, and you might not admit to this, some of you might be very satisfied with where your relationship with God is despite the fact that it comes down to just really this one hour each week. In fact, some of you, you might not necessarily even want to be here this morning. You might be asking this question. You might never actually ask it out loud, but you might be asking this question right here. Why should I care? Why should I care? Why should I make this a priority? And by the way, that is an excellent question to ask. And for those of you that are just beginning to explore this whole thing, these are questions that you should continue asking. Don't just believe for the sake of belief. Get these questions answered because otherwise you're not truly going to believe it. And somebody's going to come along and they're going to start telling you some things. You're going to make you doubt it. Like, Like really ask these questions. Why should I care? Continue asking those questions as you decide whether or not you want to be a Jesus follower. Uh, Joe, will you come up on stage real quick? Everybody give my, my friend Joe a round of applause here. 
Joe, how are you doing today? Good. Excellent. All right, give another round of applause. That's it. You can get out of here. He didn't know how to do that. Um, for those of you that couldn't hear that, maybe in the back, I asked Joe, how was he doing or how are you? And he replied with good. Cliches are a way of life. For a lot of us, we have maybe a couple meaningful relationships, and then the rest of our lives are filled with these relationships that have seemingly sputtered out on this superficial plateau because how are you is the essence of how we communicate with other people. How are you? How's the weekend? How's the weather? How's the wife? How you doing? How's work? Anything new? This is what we would all kind of collectively refer to what as small talk, right? But can we be honest about small talk and what it actually is? It is completely mindless conversation. It adds no value to either party involved. I did not actually learn anything about Joe in that moment. He, he might be doing good, but I doubt if he wasn't doing good that he was going to voice that in front of all of you. And I doubt that if I actually cared, I wouldn't have asked that question in front of everyone. It is completely mindless dribble. So what does that have to do with what we're talking about this morning? What does that have to do with making time with God a daily priority? What does that have to do with daily encounter? Superficial communication often spills into our prayer life. All the time. Now, some of you may be like, oh, not so fast. I don't necessarily believe that. Let me give you some examples. We say things like this all the time. Dear Lord, thank you for this food and bless it to our bodies. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with saying that, but do you even know what you're saying? Thank you for this food. I, I get that part. What does it mean to bless it to our bodies? We will say that prayer before we're about to dive into like a Big Mac meal. It would take a Jesus walking on water type miracle for that food to be any sort of a blessing to your body. He says this, we say things like this too. This is a common one. I've heard this so many times on so many dinner tables. And so I'm not criticizing you if you're saying this, but just think about what you're saying. God is great. God is good. Go ahead and say it, say it with me. Let us thank him for our food. Okay, you, you remember this one? Have you guys have probably heard this at meals before? Good and food don't even rhyme. They just happen to have three of the same letters. It would make sense if we said God is great, God is good. Let us thank him for our food. But then that's not really a word, right? It doesn't make a whole lot of sense. So we say this. We, we love saying these things. God, just protect us. Just keep us safe. From what? The boogeyman? Gremlins? Robbers? Like, what are we talking about exactly? Or, or we love this one. We love the blessing player, prayers. God, just bless me. Bless my family. Bless, bless my dog. Huh? What are we talking about? This is my personal favorite and probably because it's so like personally convicting for me because I used to say this all the time. I said, God, just be with me. Just be with my aunt. Just be with my family. Just be with my kids. What in the heck does that even mean? What is all this junk? I mean, you talk about going through the motions, good grief. Do we think that somehow we are doing God a favor by saying prayers like that? Could we actually even call that stuff prayer? Or are we just kind of mumbling some stuff to ourselves before the food gets cold? <laughs> now, I would love to say at this point of the message, there is nothing wrong with saying those type of prayers. But let's just be honest with each other. There kind of is something wrong with saying those kind of prayers because superficial communication with people leads to shallow relationships with people. And you all know this. When you think about your deepest relationships, your friendships that are the absolute strongest, the reason that they are that way is because you have rich and meaningful conversation with those individuals. The conversation that you have with those people extends beyond small talk. How you doing? How's the weather? Even more than that, you sacrifice to spend time with those people. 
You put that on your schedule. You make that a priority. You sacrifice other things in your life that you might actually think are pretty important because spending time with those individuals is that much more important. And it's no different in our relationship with God. Superficial communication with God leads to a shallow relationship with God. I mean, we have the privilege, think about this, we have the means to actually communicate with God. We can talk to our heavenly father. We can have conversations with our creator. And the best that we come up with sometimes is God just be with me. Ugh, give me a break. But let me ask you a question. What would your relationship with your spouse or your closest friend, think about the person that you are absolutely closest with on this planet. What would your relationship with your spouse or closest friend look like if your communication with that person mirrored your prayer life? Now, for most of us, I expect that to be kind of like a gut-wrenching question. When I remember years ago when I wrote this question down, for myself even, it was like, ugh, does not make me feel very good. It might feel like a kick in the pants, but here is the good news and why this has relevance to you, even if you're sitting here today and you say that you have no relationship with God. God knows you. He knows every single one of us. He knows you on such a personal level. And despite all your flaws, and despite all your mistakes, and despite all your sins, and despite all those times that you have so blatantly turned your back to him, despite all the times that you have so flippantly spoken to him, he still wants a relationship with you. He still desires to know you on a deep and personal level. But that only happens when we have true and genuine communication with him, meaningful relationship does not happen without meaningful conversation. And again, despite the fact that we constantly ignore and disrespect and cheat God, he still desires a relationship with every person in this room to the extent that he sent his one and his only son to die for you, for you personally. You guys, those are some incredible lengths to go to, to win you back. Now, you might be a person here this morning um, where you're in this position, and this isn't unique to Grumlaw. Every Sunday, all across the world, there are people in churches that just don't want to be there. Uh, You know, maybe you got bribed into showing up here this morning, and somebody was like, hey, if you come to, to, to church with me, I will take you out to lunch, and I'll pay. And you're like, I am not in a position to turn down a free lunch right now. Uh, yeah, I'll go with you, sure. That, how bad could it be? Or, or, or maybe you're the boyfriend in this situation where your girlfriend looked at you last night, and she said, we are going to church. And she just had that look in her eye, and you were like, ugh. She means business. Yeah, all right, I'm going to go with Churchy tomorrow. And you don't really want to be here, but again, you just knew that it was going to cause more problems to not show up than to show up, right? And so every single week, we know that there's people that, you know, kind of got coerced into showing up here. You don't necessarily want to be here this morning. And so you're looking at all this, and you're not even sure if God's real. You're certainly not sure if this all uh, is all true. It maybe even sounds like a fairy tale. It's, It's maybe not important or seemingly to you, it's not pertinent to your life. Now, I set that all up to say there's this incredible book in in the New Testament. The Bible's kind of divided up into two sections. We have the Old Testament, first half of the Bible, and then we have the New Testament, kind of the second half of the Bible. In the New Testament, it documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection, and then a bunch of events that took place after he ascended into heaven. And there's this incredible book that we're going to look at this morning by the name of James. Anybody want to guess who wrote the book of James? James, yeah. It, it, when it came to like actually like titling these books, the authors weren't terribly creative. However, it makes it pretty easy for us to identify who wrote these books. So here we have the book of James. Now, for those of you that don't know, James was actually the brother of Jesus, okay? 
And I tell you that and make a big point of that because every time we talk about the book of James, we, we should make that a point of emphasis. Again, Jesus' brother, this cannot be overlooked. What would it take if you have a brother for your brother to convince you that he was the son of God and you should follow him, no questions asked, right? It kind of just in and of itself speaks to the validity of Jesus. Now in this book, specifically in the fourth chapter, James addresses this, this topic of why we should draw close to God. Why we should absolutely make, regardless if you're a Jesus follower or not, why you should make this daily time with God a priority. And he, he lays it out so brilliantly here. He says here in James chapter 4, verse 1, he says, What is causing the quarrels and the fights among you? Don't they come from the evil desires at war within you? In other words, don't every single one of us have problems? I mean, Christian or not, this isn't like a Christian or a non-Christian thing. This is just a people thing. Don't we all have problems? Don't we all have conflict in our lives? And he's asking this question, where does this come from? You know, where, where do these conflicts with other people come from? Where do these wars that are going on inside of us, where does all this stuff come from? And if we're really honest with ourselves, it comes from our own selfishness. It, it comes from our own pride. It comes from the own evil desires that we have inside every single one of us. And he continues, he says, you want what you don't have. So you scheme and you kill to get it. You're jealous of what others have, but you can't get it. So you fight and you wage war to take it away from them, which we read and we think, well, maybe that sounds a little bit dramatic. Like, you know, he's kind of jumping, you know, a couple lines there. But regardless, this pretty much describes our world. We are a bunch of selfish jerks who are just after what we want. I mean, in fact, the world loves telling us that, that if you want something, go out and get it. Right? The world is yours for the taking. If you want something, go out and get it. Demand it. I mean, you can get whatever you want if you just work hard enough, if you're willing to you know, cut corners and stuff, go out and get it. He says, yet you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you do ask, you don't get it because your motives are all wrong. You want only what will give you pleasure. To which we should all be rigorously nodding our heads going, Exactly. Heck yeah, God, I want you to give me what I want. We ask God for what we want all the time, but let's be honest, thank God that he does not give us everything that we ask for. Otherwise, we would all been driving Lamborghinis when we turned 16. We would all married the hottest guy or the hottest girl that we went to high school with. Every single one of us would have won the lottery 12 times over by now. We do not always know what is best for us. Isn't that one of those ironic things about human beings? We don't always have our best interest in mind. You don't always have your own best interest in mind. And we certainly don't know how we fit in with God's greater plan. And how saying yes to one thing and saying no to something else might affect what God ultimately has in store for us. Where God ultimately wants to take us. And then he kind of gets like really in her face. He says this, he says, you adulterers. Now he's like insulting us. He says, don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? To which we all think, all right, James, you've kind of crossed the line. That sounds a little bit harsh. But all throughout scripture, this isn't just some one-off statement that we see here in the book of James that, 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 that Jesus' brother is saying here. This is something that we see evidence of, of throughout the entire Bible and particularly the New Testament. God makes it really, really clear if you are not for him, if you are not specifically for him, you are against him. There is no middle ground. You can't just say, no, nah, I'm just kind of drifting there, just going through the motions. He's like, no, no, no. If that's you, if you are claiming that you are middle ground, just kind of treading between these two things, you're actually against me. If you're not for me, you're against me. And so he says, so humble yourselves before God, resist the devil, 
and he, the devil, will flee from you. And again, Christian or not, I think we could all get on board with this. We, we don't want to be controlled by Satan. We don't want to be controlled by, by the evil temptations that we all have, these desires that, that we all have that come up inside of us. Nobody wants to be owned by, by these things that we do, and we can't really explain why we do those things. But okay, James, how do we go about doing this? And the solution is probably far simpler than we could have ever imagined. He says, come close to God, and God will come close to you. And James knew, the very brother of Jesus, that in order to come close to God, it takes more than just showing up here for an hour each week. In order to resist the temptations that this world throws at us every single day, we all know this, we are tempted daily. You have to be spending daily time with God. One hour a week, you guys, it's not going to cut it. And I don't care who you are. I don't care if you consider yourself a fully devoted follower of Jesus or, or whether this is honestly like your first time in a church and you're just beginning to explore all of this. You're tired of letting those sinful desires win. You're tired of morning after morning where you look at yourself and nobody else says this to you. You say this to you. You idiot. Why do you keep doing that? Why do you keep doing these things over and over that you don't want to do? Why do you keep calling him? Why do you keep calling her? Why do you keep looking at that? Nobody wants to be controlled by those evil desires that, that cause us to have morning after morning full of regret. And so when we make daily encounter a priority, when we make spending time with God each and every day a priority, when we spend that daily time with him, the reward is not everything that you ask for. And again, we know that. You all know that because as you have all experienced at some point in your life, God doesn't just give you everything that you want on a silver platter. See, the most important thing in our lives, more important than your career, more important than your job post-graduation, more important than your house, your car, more important than your significant other, more important than your family, more important than your kids. The most important thing in any of our lives is our relationship with Jesus because everything else, whether you realize this or not, everything else flows from that. Our reward is an intimacy with God, a closeness with him, the reward is that inner sense of peace that God is absolutely with us. Our reward is a real relationship with him that is only achieved when you spend real quality time with him on a daily basis where you truly trust him, where you close the door and you have what could actually be called a relationship. It's not just an acquaintance where you spend quality time with just him. And so as we wrap up this morning, Here's my challenge to every single one of us. Let's go ahead and put that on the screen. Number one, schedule a daily time. You have to schedule this. And so right now, I'm, I'm gonna ask us to actually put some action behind this. I want you to pull out your phones. And I want you to put a time in your phone that you are going to start spending daily time with God. Because when we don't do that, God ends up getting our leftovers. How many of you, and I'm not gonna actually ask you to put your hands up, but I would put my both my hands up, have ever thought, you know what, I'll just get to God when I get to him. And what happens? You don't end up getting to him because you have too much going on in your life. You schedule everything else in your life that is important. Why doesn't he make it onto your schedule? He's tired of getting your midnights. 
He's tired of at midnight, you like read the Bible, you're three verses, and if somebody held a gun to your head the next morning and said, tell me what you read last night, you would have no clue. You'd be like, you might as well just pull the trigger. I got no clue. You have to schedule that time with him. I have one reminder in my phone that goes off every single day. It's the only daily reminder I have, and it says time with God. At 8.15 p.m. every single day, time with God goes off in my phone. And you might ask, well, why do I do 8.15 p.m.? Because 8 o'clock, both of my maniac kids go down to sleep. And that's the first point of the day where I can just go, and I can relax, and I give God my best time. When we just allow God to kind of fit into our schedule intermittently when it works for us, we're also communicating to God that, hey, God, you get my leftovers. And he is worth so much more than our leftovers. So I would challenge you literally right now to put that into your phone. Think about what is your best time during the day? What is the time during most days that you say, I have this available And this isn't when I'm dozing off to sleep. This isn't when I'm waking up in the morning and I keep hitting snooze and God gets like, you know, these three second prayers in between the snoozes. No, no, like what is a time that you can give real dedicated time to him? So number one, schedule that daily time. Number two, start the conversation. Listen, as it said in that video right before I jumped up here, I mean, it's kind of playful, right? Nobody's ever actually gotten a call from Jesus on their cell phone, but I get that, right? She's like, hey, it's kind of weird to have a conversation with someone that I can't actually see. I'm not naive to that. I remember those days. But as she also said in that video, as Jesus said, it it continues to get easier. You have to at least start that conversation. Will it feel initially like maybe you're just having a conversation with yourself? Probably. But as you do it more frequently, it, it gets less awkward. It gets not as weird. So start that conversation. Remember that prayer is nothing more than sharing honest feelings with God. You don't have to use big words. You don't have to like, you know, pull up your thesaurus and like Hollywood and uh, fellowship. No, no, no. Just talk to him. Tell him where, where, where you're frustrated. Tell him what's going well. Ask him for things that, that you need in your life right now. Start that conversation. Do not overthink it. If it feels initially like you're just talking to yourself, that's normal, but it's so important that we at least start the conversation. Don't let the intimidation of it all get in the way of at least initiating that conversation with God. And then number three, ask God to show up and begin reading. I get that the Bible can feel like such an intimidating and a daunting book. It's really, really thick. And we as people are programmed in such a way that when we get a book, we want to pick it up and we want to start reading it until we're done, right? And so when we look at the Bible, we go, okay, well, where the heck do I start? It's so important that, again, you don't let the intimidation of the Bible get in the way of actually starting to have that, com- that conversation and begin reading his word. So begin opening up those pages and start reading. And what I ask to see there is ask God to show up every single day before I start reading my Bible. I say a quick prayer. I say, God, will you please just speak to me in a unique way today? Will you say something to me today? Will you make something leap off the pages that that you haven't revealed to me before? And it's been incredible how that quick 30-second prayer has completely transformed how I read the Bible. It seems like God shows up a whole lot more when I'm reading those pages, and it doesn't just become another book. So ask him to show up. Don't just start reading, but actually ask him to show up before you start reading. And then if you're wondering, where do I start? I recommend starting in the book of Matthew. As we talked about, the Bible is divided into two sections. The second half is called the New Testament. Matthew is the first book of the New Testament. It's one of those books that we call the Gospels or the Good News. It documents Jesus' life, his death, and his resurrection. Start reading there. I I don't think it's an accident that the New Testament is put together the way that it is. Start reading in Matthew and just start reading through that New Testament. I would challenge you to at least read one chapter a day. So you guys, let's do this. Let's make this a priority. 
Let's not be a group of people that come together for an hour each week and we get our our weekly dose of conviction and then we walk out the door and nothing changes in our lives. That is so dumb. Let's not just be a church that's just making noise here for an hour each week, but we, we hear this stuff and we actually change as a result Regardless of where you are at in this whole faith journey, I'm begging you, make this daily time with him a priority. And I know this is going to sound dramatic right now, but if you do this, your life will change. Your perspective will change. This is a total game changer when we make this daily time with him a priority. I guarantee you things will change in your life in a very positive way if you begin spending time with him each and every day. And so right now, I'm going to invite Steph over here, and uh, they're going to sing a song right now. And um, I would just challenge you to reflect and think about what is it that God is saying to you right now? What are the steps, the tangible steps that you are going to begin taking to make this a daily priority?